Welcome, everyone, to the Islanders Never Say Die podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and you'll notice we're missing the grumpy old man. But don't worry. Today, we've got a special one in store. We've got friend of the show. I'd say, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what to call him with his online presence, but we've got Phil's facts on with us here this evening. How are you, Phil? How's it going? Missing. I mean, you use the term missing as if, I mean, that's very, that's a loaded term. Are, are we really missing Grumpy or is he just missing, right? He's, he's, how are we using the term, you know, the adjective here? He's, he's, he's under the weather. So he'll be out probably today and then probably this weekend's podcast. So there'll be no shows. Well, there'll be no TJ and the Grumpy Old Man tomorrow unless X wants to do it. That's right. He always is. That's right. He does the little finger wag. Grumpy does. I like I it. Got, I'm fill, if I'm filling in for Grumpy, I got to do some of the not only color commentary, but I've got to do the hand motions. I've got to do the facial expressions. So as you go along, I'll try to fill in as much for Grumpy as I possibly can. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he'll probably be out um, probably this weekend, too. And uh, I assume maybe the Wednesday of Thanksgiving. So we'll be he'll be back. I don't know. Maybe that's Saturday after Thanksgiving. But we'll see. We'll keep everybody up to date. Uh, when 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 Grumpy is back, the Grumpster is back. But if you're new to this channel, welcome. It's a twice a week Islanders podcast where we go, we go live usually every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, we'll have a little bit of a different schedule here coming up. It's holiday season, American Thanksgiving coming up. Things get crazy, busy, and hectic. But if you're new to the show uh, and you like the content that we put out, make sure to do a few things. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and then like the video because apparently that helps the algorithm. And also, make sure to go ahead and follow us there on Twitter, and you can also find us there on Facebook if you ever want to be kept up to date with the latest Islanders discussion that we have going on. And and Phil, now Phil, hold on. I've noticed you've changed up your Twitter bio. How are we supposed to see where Phil has his podcast? Because Phil is also a fellow podcaster there. Now, Phil, where, remind us where you. I didn't. I didn't change it up. I just never really. You know what? I should add it in. Um, but if if you just go to Isles Fix, I think most of your following will know the Isles Fix account. Um, I do a once a week show with David Tuckman. Uh, that's Tuck on Sports, where we talk Isles for. Anywhere from between thirty to forty-five minutes, usually, just kind of run through the the games that happened, our opinions on that. Sometimes we go around the league a little bit, but anyone who is subscribed to Isles Fix, you get that in your inbox is emailed to you usually on Wednesdays and Thursdays. If you're not subscribed to Isles Fix, then you can just go ahead and find it on iTunes or wherever podcasts are host. That's the red line. Looky there, the red line and Phil's. There you go. You can also find Phil when you when you want to see unhinged, crazy, you know, Islander takes. Phil is the one you go to. Absolutely. I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody else that comes close to it. So you know, you can find him. We've linked his Twitter bio and the link in the description below. You can find him at Phil's Facts. Um, you know, today is I was I, you know it's Islanders have been struggling recently they really have struggling i think that's i think that's the nicest way we can put it struggling um the i've seen a lot online there's a lot to talk about first off and i've yeah. seen a lot online people you know claiming hey let's fire lane lambert get rid of lane that's the problem i've seen some of that and i think phil you're in that camp too but I, i'll let you explain kind of what your thoughts are with the situation but um you know you've got since the last time grump and i went live 
You have Casey Zizekas calling out the fans, being upset with the fans that boo. And then, you know, he he goes ahead and does his little uh, back step over here. He's trying to go ahead and, you know, save face as most as he can. Wait, did you guys – you guys didn't cover that on Saturday night, I guess, right? That happened, happened after the game. It happened yeah. after the game. Okay, okay. I, I was about to say, for, for those who have been – well, I guess for those who don't have social media, you probably didn't hear about this because, trust me, the Islanders did not cover this at all in any of their <laughs> – and any of their uh, recent telecasts. They, they know which media to put out and which media stays hidden and buried. Sometimes you'll even see in the press conferences that they have with the coaches, there'll be some edits put in there where questions that they don't like that are asked of either a coach or a player are sometimes stripped out. I didn't they've know that. that before. Yeah, they've done that before, for sure. Or they'll cut it short. They'll sometimes cut it short if they, if they don't like how it ends. Because this is this is how it all started. Saturday night, right? The Islanders lose to the Washington Capitals. I thought there was no way in hell we were losing to Hunter Shepard, third string career AHL goalie um, for the Hershey Bears. Uh, you know, losing to the Washington Capitals, we lost four to one at home. And this this happened. They asked the question to Lane Lambert. They said, "Do you think the room is still? You think that you know the room's still hearing your message?" He said, "Yes, I do." <laughs> and then he just proceeded to walk right out of the po- the, the post game presser. Um, so that's kind of how it started originally. And then they're asking some of the players about what their opinions are. You know, hey, is, is everything still going well? What do you think about, you know, the boos out there by the fans? Because the boos have been growing from my I don't think it was about the boos. I think the questions were more pointed. And they asked specifically about what these players felt about the fire lane chance. And the two players they asked that question to were Horvat and Sezikis. And Horvat handled it very diplomatically and how you think – person who was a captain in the league would handle it, which is saying, listen, at the end of the day, it's on us as players, right? We have to be held accountable for it. We're the ones on the ice performing. It's all about us. And Sezikis had a little bit of a different answer. Yeah, and this is this is the one that Casey says. Now, Casey, by the way, is the longest tenured New York Islander, right? Matt Martin, he left for a few years, so left Casey... Casey has that now that Josh, our friend Josh Bailey, is gone. The magnificent, yep. you know, great Josh Bailey's gone. But Sezika said, it's a joke. It's a joke. That kind of stuff ticks me off. It really does. Um, I got no time for those fans, and I've got no time for them. Uh, if they want to be like that, they can stay home. And uh, I'm sure, as you can imagine, you hear, you hear a comment like that uh, regarding, hey, what do you think about the fan base that's chanting fire lane? What are your opinions on it? Stay home. Uh, you know, that's not a good little sound clip, not a good little uh, audio clip for him in the interview piece. No, it's I mean, one, it's a very emotional response. It's an emotional reaction to a question after a loss um, in a game that, it would, you know, if we're being honest, it was a frustrating game. Right. The Islanders carried the play for most of the game. And it's just a situation where every single mistake they made ended up in the back of the net. Uh Shepard was good. They weren't able to get enough traffic in front of him. They weren't able to get enough quality looks, a lot of shots from the outside. And, you know, that's a frustrating way to lose the game. And then you've got the fans who, you know, I think I think part of the drawback of having so many games at home is if you're not playing well and you're playing most of your games at home early on in the season, then you're, you're going to hear it from your paying customers. And the one thing that you cannot do to paying customers is give them a reason to, to keep their money in their pocket or spend it on something else as opposed to putting it toward your product, which really ultimately pays your salary. Yep. And, and you know, it's it's the one thing Grump and I always talk about. As a player, doesn't matter what sport you're in, 
You can never disagree or get upset when the fans are booing. That is, it's a no-win scenario. It happens all the time across all different sports, and every single time a player ever does that, they end up as a big loser. Evan and Neal. one, the Evan one Neal. I was about to say, the one I thought of most recent was the Evan Neal scenario, where he was, you know, he was. Hey, the lion doesn't concern himself with the thoughts of the sheep when people were, were criticizing his game or lack thereof this season. And I said, why do I care about what somebody who's sitting at home flipping burgers thinks about my play? And I'm like, yeah, I get it, right? I, I don't care that you think that way. It's just not a good, it's not good optics for you to say something like that. I think he I think he said flipping hot dogs, which didn't even make any sense because you don't flip hot dogs. <laughs> you kind of like turn hot dogs on the grill. I, I was about to say, and I don't think. Casey Zizekas is the only guy who shares that sentiment. I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of players who that bothers. I mean, they're just humans, right? I could definitely see that bothering a lot of people, but it's the one no-no. You can't say that, and it's going to get the fan base angry at you. It just, it's something that he as a vet should know a little better. But it, you're right. It was emotional. It was an emotional loss. I think the team is in a... I, is in a is in a volatile state right now. I think they're in a really vulnerable vulnerable state is the word I'm looking for here. Um, and you know it's, I think they've played okay hockey. I thought they played well against the Washington Capitals. I thought for the most part we played pretty well against the Edmonton Oilers. I thought they also, by the way, I think in each of these four regulation losses that they've had since the Carolina loss, which was an overtime game, I thought in each of those four games they have for the most part been the better team in those games. Right, we, you know, you had the the wild game, which was for the first forty minutes was pretty much all Islanders, until Dobson took that second penalty in the third period, and Minnesota capitalized, and then the wheels came off. Right, and that's been the theme. The theme is when adversity strikes in the third period, they have been turtling, and they have been, you know, it's it's fight or flight, and they've chosen flight every single time. And it's the same thing in the Boston game. Right, it's pretty even matchup. We had a great second period. We tied it up in the beginning of the third period on the penalty kill. And then immediately we give up a soft goal and that game goes off the rails. We give up another goal a couple minutes later, that game's over. And it's just been this recurring theme where we're, we're playing well for the most part, which I don't think that was the case early on in the season, or I mean, it's still early, but earlier on in the season, I thought that there were games that we were getting dominated in Ottawa in particular, which I think was Sorokin's best game of the season. We took eight penalties in the second period. Right. I mean, by all counts, we have you have no business winning a game where you take nine penalties and multiple four on three power plays for Ottawa. And we ended up winning that game. You know, we got an opportunistic goal late to, to take the lead, held on to that lead. Sorokin played great. Um, I didn't think we played particularly well against Columbus. I thought that was at best an even match. We had two back to back situations in the third period where we were when it was still a one nothing game when we let in unimpeded breakaways, guys just splitting the defense and going through us like a butter knife. So that's not happening right now. I think the defense has definitely been more buttoned up, and part of that is, you know, against Edmonton in particular, we got to play with our full six-man unit. But, man, these third periods <laughs> and the penalty kill in particular, they cannot buy a penalty kill, and, and we could talk about that too because I pulled up some interesting data on that that I that I posted the other day. I, the, I think – I think it's a mischaracterization to say that we've played better. I think the last two games, I'm like, okay, I thought we carried action probably, you know, on a 50-50 pace. I think this this year in general has just been one where we've been outplayed 
I mean, we're, we're surrendering. I think it's almost like now it's down to 34 shots or maybe 33, a little over 30. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's coming down. You haven't, you haven't been seeing the goaltenders getting shellacked throughout the game like we saw for the first 10 games. Even against Washington, we gave up 30-plus shots again. It's just like at home. And I'm like, we didn't against Edmonton. I thought the second period against Edmonton, I was like, oh, shit. It was really boring hockey. But I'm like, against Edmonton, playing boring hockey is the best thing we can hope for. Yeah, and, they were in control. And as soon as they get on yeah. the power play, I mean, that, you know, I was, I, was, I was telling Grumpy, I was like, holy shit, if they get on the power play, they're scoring. Yep. If they have more than three seconds on the power play, like the first power play <laughs> after the four-on-four scenario, I'm like, they're going to score. And, and sure enough, they did. Um, it's... Well, that the, you, know, you talk about leads late, and you talk about the stark difference. Last year, we had a lot of these games in the third period or overtime where we were just outscoring opponents. You know, we'd have a deficit, and we'd go ahead and hey, great goal differential in the third period, winning games in overtime. We didn't have a lot of loser points in OT losses. This year has been a, a stark difference. You know, thirteen games in against teams who made the postseason last year, we are now zero four and two. Yeah, I don't think, by the way, on, on that point, I don't think the Islanders lost a game in overtime until sometime in the 20s. They they won that first overtime game against Calgary. They had another, that was that was when they, they tied it up late after coming back from a two-goal deficit. Um, they had at least one or two other, uh, I want to say, overtime games that they were actually winning um, earlier on in the season there. Um, like the record was, at this point, it was 9-5. and five, So it was the reverse, right? Now... I think our first period goal differential is one of the best in the league. I think I heard that on the Edmonton broadcast. Like our first goal period, and, and that's what you want, right? You want to get started off on the right foot. You don't want to have to be digging yourself out of a mess uh, in a game. But at the same time, if your third periods are simply you just pooping all over yourself and giving the games away, that's that's not good either, right? There's got to be some sort of balance struck between you know these starts and these finishes to these games. In the second, third period and overtime put together, when you look at those cumulative goal differential, we are minus 18. We've only played 13 games. We've got five wins of 14. Yeah. Man, 14 games in, minus 18. I'm like, yikes. You're not going to win a lot of games when you can't close the door. Um, You know, and I think that's why a lot of people have been, you know, the chance for fire Lane Lambert on social media all over the place. I think are growing louder and louder. Um, you know, if we were playing home games, uh, we lost that game at home to, Van- uh, to Edmonton. I'm sure the chance would be there. I'm yeah. sure, you know, depending on what the outcome is tonight, we're playing a, a really good Vancouver team ever since Rick Taki took over. He, mm-hmm. they've been a great team at the tail end of last year when he yep. took over as head coach and the same thing this year. I'm going to say they are a very formidable opponent. We'll get they to see are. old Anthony Bavillier. Bo Demko, Demko right now, I think is the Vesna favorite. He's playing really well, and it's yeah. early. It's early. It's early, yeah. It's early. In, but he's playing really well, and uh, oh man, another loss. I just, I'm not sure what's going to transpire. I think the the, the chance and, and the angry fans get louder and louder, understandably so. I just don't think it's much on the coach. I think the reason the coach, the, the lot of the fingers getting pointed at the coach right now, he looks when he is hitting every single line combination possible. Every single game, he looks like he's just grasping at straws. And I think it's because of the team composition. There's only so much he can do. I don't I don't put this on Lane Lambert. I don't think he is the reason we're losing games. I think it's poor roster composition, and I think it's poor management by our GM. I think there are there's definitely there's you know, blame the coach, blame the players. I think I think there's a 
a shared responsibility here. I, I just never felt even last year that he had a really good feel for the team. And the only success that they've ever had under Lane really was just going back to their buttoned up trot style system that they played with for the last 30 games last year, which was less than 30 games. Actually it was, it was the 23 games that Barzal missed, which, which they were forced to do because you can't play as open when you're missing your best transition player. Right. A lot of dump and chase, a lot of, you know, creating turnovers in the neutral zone and counter punching and capitalizing on that, which is something that our second line, once we got Pierre Engvall and added some speed there, got much better at in the second half of the season. I think there are situations this year where he he has pulled, he's, he's pushed every wrong button. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I thought that the line changes that were made in that Detroit game when, to me, things were moving steady in that game, right? And, and the two lines that you changed up were scored on successive shifts, I think that screams to me just desperation, and you know, you don't know what you're doing with your in-game management. I thought the Engvall scratch, again, terrible turnover against Minnesota. I thought to make an example out of a player who, to be quite frank, for the most part, part was playing well on what was your most dangerous line, and then what happens in, in that very game? Well, that line that you changed up was the line that gave up both five-on-five goals, which which ultimately is the difference in that game. I think there are things that he's doing on special teams that are just objectively wrong. And I posted this yesterday. And this was an observation I made when Cal Clutterbuck came back later in the season last year after his long injury and in the playoffs. The clutterbuck Sezikis penalty kill has got to be the worst penalty-killing duo on earth. If you want, you can pull up my tweet from yesterday just so you could kind of show that data and that visual. They've been on for eight goals. They've been on for eight goals. The Pajot-Holmstrom pairing has been on for two, but at the same time, they also have two shorthanded goals. So the net-net of the Pajot-Holmstrom penalty killing is they are effectively even in terms of their contribution, which is which is really damn good. How this... That's from the playoffs, but I the tweet before that is actually from... There it is. You know what, this is from you know what I just the season. Phil? I was looking at your Twitter. I was like, holy shit, Phil tweets a lot. I'm scrolling... T- a lot, of, a lot of takes over the past couple of days. The more the Islanders lose, the more opinions I have. <laughs> but basically, I mean, I think this chart is pretty self-explanatory. It's how many goals you've been on for and how many goals you've been out against, specifically on the penalty kill. And it's not good for Cal Clutterbuck at all. It's not great for Casey Sezikis. And I think more of that has to do with Cal because Casey did take, I think, I think he's taken three shifts with Horvat on the penalty kill. And one of them, they produced a goal. Right, that was... Horvat getting him a pass and then Casey taking that the other way in Detroit. Yeah. The Holmstrom Pajo penalty kill. How that's not your top penalty kill is beyond me, right? Those are the guys that you should have out against the other team's top units to start things off. And I just don't think Cal can, can effectively kill at all. He's slow. He's, he looks afraid to take shots, which I don't blame him. The guys had so many injuries and part of, you know, penalty killing is putting your body on the line and, and diving and getting in the way of pucks and, it seems like he doesn't have a willingness as much to do that this year. You know, you've got other guys that you could try. If you look around the league, and this is something that I've been suggesting for, for years now, but a lot of teams use their skill players, right? Vancouver, their they're top guys that on the penalty kill this year is Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, right? For Boston, it was always Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. In Toronto, you've got Mitch Marner. Um, John Tavares kills penalties for them, or, or at least did. Maybe not as much anymore. That would be slower, but... You know, Sasha Barkov kills penalties. Sebastian Ajo kills penalties. Teams use their stars in the penalty kill, right? You're able to have guys who have speed, who could pressure the point men better, 
and make force them into quicker decisions and sometimes mistakes that you could turn the other way for shorthanded goals. And that's something that Pajot has done very well his entire career. It's something that Simon Holmstrom is doing well. I just don't understand how something this critical and something that this this is right now, to me, it's the number one ailment of the team. If you look at all these losses that they've had, the games have turned on the power play. Minnesota, they took the lead on the power play. Boston, they took the lead on the power play. Edmonton, they took the lead on the power play. Fix it. I, I, I'll say this. I feel like it's rearranging the chairs on the deck of the, deck of the Titanic. Is it, though? When, when yes. it's this in your face and it's objectively awful and not working and you see one pair is well above water right being at even for a penalty killing unit is fantastic the other one is just sunk to the bottom of the atlantic and it's, it's literally costing you games the i'm trying to look up what the stats are by team you know when i think about the power play right i don't think the power play any great shakes Better than last year, though, right? And right, no, but it, but the power play, I mean, and, and this is a function of also taking a lot of ill-timed penalties, like the Anders Lee one, which I think is the seventh instance where we've taken a penalty on our power play and early on into it. The Islanders have the least power play time in the league, right? You could only be so good within the minutes that you have, but no team has fewer power play minutes than the Islanders right now. I think we got about 73%. Of course, they've got locked out numbers for us, but about 73% sure. on the PK. Um, you know, here's the thing. We're a team where I just think in general, goaltending, I'm not expecting Sorokin to play the same exact outstanding season he had the year prior and two years ago. Goalies have up and down years. Uh, you know, to expect, and we mentioned this at the beginning of the year, if if Sorokin doesn't have an unbelievable season where he's posting a 925 save percentage, we're not winning a lot of games. And where are we right now? Not posting the 925 save percentage, we're not winning a lot of games. Not even close. And it's and it's the same thing. Where is he? Nine nine oh nine nine oh seven. Okay, nine oh seven. Here's the thing. How what's Varley's numbers looking like? He's 940, probably nine forty. Yeah, nine forty. Here's the thing. You could put Varley out there. You could put whoever you want out there, unless you're having ungodly performance after ungodly performance, where the goalie is absolutely standing on his head. We're not going to win games. We're just not. We, we're, we're extremely dependent and reliant upon fantastic goaltender play. Like, remember Shosturkin last year? Everybody was like, oh, man, Shosturkin's playing so poorly. He's, you know, he's taking a step back. He struggled. Well, again, goalies don't always have the same exact performance year after year after year. They're streaky like that. Some years they perform better than other years. Just because Shosturkin last year, two years ago, posted like that 930-plus save percentage, you know, it's not going to carry over year from year. And and Sorokin's been extremely steady, always in the mid 920s, 924, 925. If you get a season where he dips below that, and let's say he's 918, 917, we're not. I think, his, I think his rookie year was he was he was a 918, but he wasn't the starter, so it wasn't as big a deal. He played, yeah. He, what did he play? Like 20 games or something like that. that something like that, yeah. But um, maybe 19 games, 18 games. But but Verlamov had a 930 that year and seven shutouts in like 30, 31 games or something like that. So. You know, wasn't as big a deal considering he wasn't the starter that year. But uh, yeah, and in his two full years that he's played so far, I think it's been nine twenty-five and nine twenty-four. Really good. I like that. John said, as Grumpy would say, "This team sucks out loud." Yeah, Grumpy would not be all that happy with all the the positive Pierre Engvall talk as well. I, you know, so. sorry. <laughs> the uh, you know, I, I'll say this here too. Our top line isn't scoring enough. 
Bo Horvat is putting up points. How many opportunities has he had in really good situations and chances, but he's just not finishing on currently? Simon Holmstrom can't be a first-line guy. He's not. We still do not have a first-line winger to pair up with Horvat and Matt Barzal. We just don't. And we will not be able to get that internally. I would keep Holmstrom there, though. I'm not saying he's a first-line quality person. He's not. Right now, he's not a first-line quality player. But I just think in terms of what the duo that he plays with needs, he's good. He's proven to be good in transition, right? And, and we've seen that in both at five-on-five five and on the penalty kill. He's able to finish chances off the rush, and he's responsible defensively, which the other two line mates of his are not really. Neither Horvat and, and Barzella are really defensive savants. So if you could have a guy who's got some pretty decent wheels – and you know has found some finishing touch early on this year and and put them him with them i think that's that's good enough for now right maybe and maybe maybe you catch uh, lightning in a bottle at some point and 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 he he hits a stride or something like that i just think of all the available options they have this is something i want to see them stick with the second line right they the past couple games i think ever since <laughs> ever since they sat angwall for that game i don't think they've been as good although against edmonton they had 19 shots right, which for a line in a single game is, is quite crazy. It's just Nelson and Paul Mary had a lot of really clean opportunities that they couldn't buy on Skinner. And credit to Skinner, he played well, but, you know, those guys got to finish. Those guys got to score. Nelson, I think, had a career high. In he game. tied a career high. He had, he had 10 shots on goal. Paul Mary had six. Engvall had three. So 19 shots on goal between the three of them. I think that line more than any other line has been carrying its share of the weight this season. The third line has been problematic. I just think it's a bad mix of skills. I think having Lee and Wallstrom, both guys who don't skate well at all on the same line, doesn't really do anything in terms of being able to, to generate offense there. Um, the three of them have, have, have really just been in in scoring ruts this season, and I know part of that with Wally is because he's been in and out of the lineup, which which doesn't do him any favors. Um, and the fourth line, I think, I think, listen, I think at even strength, I, I haven't really had much of a problem with the fourth line. I think there's been some times where getting out of their zone has been dicey because Martin's kind of slow and Lane's been limiting his minutes quite substantially, um, which is why I, I kind of wanted to see them keep Julian Gauthier in for more than one game, right? They only had surrendered two shots against that entire game against Edmonton. I thought that having... Another speed guy on that line helps Zekas out on the forecheck, and Gautier was able to get in ahead of them, which is usually Casey's in on the forecheck, and then he's got two guys who are, who are trailing the play, and, and maybe sometimes they'll set something up. Um, but but Clutterbuck had an early chance in the set, in the first period where if that went, and it's 2 nothing yeah, hours early, that right there could have really you know changed the whole trajectory of the game if, if, if he hit, you know, missed by that much. So I didn't mind that line. Um, I'm not thrilled that they're going back to Matt Martin tonight. I would have liked to see Gautier get a little more run than just eight minutes, but it's, it's, you know, again, like the team is full of bottom six guys and you know, you mentioned it, Kyle Clutterbuck did hit the post and it was a close opportunity and chance. You look at Edmonton. I think Edmonton had like two or three posts as well. They had two posts. Yeah. And they had Vander Kane hit a post crossbar. And then I think, I think it was dry saddle who had a, who hit the post at one point. Dry Saddle missed the opportunity, just like he missed one. He just, he just guided it too far. I um, mean, they're beautiful. I mean, watching Edmonton, I, I know they don't play defense. They're in a, they're in a losing situation, but man, 
are they when they're when everything is humming offensively and they're just I mean putting pressure and pressure on it is entertaining to watch. Just, I don't even think the issue this year has been has been defense that much as much as it's been just terrible goaltending. I think from a chances against perspective overall this year, I think they've been fine. But when you have eight sixty five goaltending for the first twelve games, you're not going to win a lot of games. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's now. Let me ask you this: Are you in a spot? What realistically do you think a coaching change does for the team? At the very least, it puts a hundred percent of the pressure on the players. I think the I, I like I I think I think you have to change the coach just for that reason. By the way, I think this is a country club mentality. When I start to see you know the, the players and we mentioned or I'd mentioned this to Grump with Zizekas speaking the way he does, it's just like man, nobody can boo us, nobody could do this, dude. I'm like, when you're playing like shit. You should be aware. You should look within, but I don't think this team does that. I think this all it we have the wrong captain in place. We have a guy who Lee is not a fit anywhere on this team. He has been miserable all season. Fourteen Great. games in, one goal, one assist. He's been mm-hmm. playing multiple games on the top line, first power play unit. That can't no, no, hey, that that they haven't done. They only did that for the game that Horvat missed. Okay, so at he least second power play unit. At least they got him off there. Yeah. He, I, I'm sorry, you just can't, you can't have that little production. I thought the first two or three games when he's playing the third, and when he plays on the third line, he actually shows effort. As soon as, and how long we we more jump the third line, and then hey, one one period in, we're putting him right back up to the first line again. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not, you know, one period of hard work doesn't earn you back a first line spot when you've been playing like complete crap the entire year. He's a guy. If Lane Lambert was bold enough, and it's not going to happen, he should be benched. He should be sat. He's not playing well. So he listen, I think I think that's that's exactly part of the reason why you need a new coach, right? Lane, you know, part of the drawback of promoting someone from within, and right, Washington did it with Bar- when Barry left, right? They took Barry's top assistant, they made him the head coach, and from a regular season standpoint, produced good results. Two first-round exits, that's going to get you fired in Washington when the expectation is that that group should be going farther. right? The Islanders did it too. right? They had a coach that the players were comfortable with. He, on an interim basis, coached a couple of pretty decent games when Barry went for uh, when, when his mother passed away uh, back in Manitoba and had to take a, you know, a little bit of an abbreviated leave. So Lane, Lane took the reins, and Lou said that's when he identified him as, as someone who can be the replacement. And... You know, there, there was legitimately noise around other teams looking into hiring Lane. It wasn't like he wasn't going to get interviews and potentially sought after. Right? They, you know, people were linking the Steve Eiserman connection because they were roommates, and that was something that they were looking at before they went out and hired Lalande. So I don't blame them for trying, but part of the drawback is when you've been with a group for, this is year six now, you don't have the, uh, you know, maybe you don't have the the, the ability uh you know, with a straight face to go ahead and and bench the captain because you've been with this guy for six years and that's someone that you've leaned on before. He did it with Bailey, right? <laughs> Oddly enough, with Bailey, he did it before he hit a game a thousand, which which was shocking and astonishing to everyone. And we all know, you know, about Bailey's end of season interview. There seems to have been a little bit of bad blood there, more than a little bit of bad blood, and they sure. didn't seem to get along. And maybe for you know, maybe there was some awkwardness in the locker room around that, and and Lane wants to avoid repeating that mistake, but just for the sake of getting someone in who doesn't have an attachment to these players, doesn't have an attachment or a bias with this particular group, it's, that alone for me is enough reason to get someone else in. It's not a, it's not a friendship. You're a fucking head coach and your job is to produce. 
If the guy isn't doing that, I'm not your buddy. I'm not your pal. You know what you are? You are a player. We, if we could be friends, fantastic. But guess what? And the bottom line, we're here to win games. Yeah. I have, you know, if Bailey's unhappy about that, fantastic. You know what? We're going to take it one step further. I don't like your attitude. You're going fucking Bridgeport. See you later, buddy. I'm not, I can't deal with that. I can't have you polluting the locker room. I think that his mentality is completely all wrong. I think the way he's playing on the ice is completely wrong. I hate the lack of effort. He's not a leader on this team anymore. The C needs to be stripped from his jersey, and he needs to be sat. The unfortunate thing is we've tied ourselves to that huge contract that Anders Lee does have. Was it two years left after this one? Yeah, but you could buy it out. That's that's my point. It's pretty, pretty decent. You get pretty decent savings for net. Pretty substantial savings for next year, almost five million dollars next year. We um, need to, a little less the year after, after, but we I need think to look at it through that through that lens. That yeah. this this needs to be a scenario to where are you helping us win right now? No, you're not. You're dragging the team down. You don't fit on any of the lines. I don't like the lack of effort. I don't like the blase mentality that we're carrying out there in the ice. You need to sit. You need to have the C strip from you. If that's not something, it's it's a really brave thing for a head coach to do. And even if you brought a new guy in, he's not going to do that right off the bat. They're not going to say, "Hey, I don't I'm know. I have no idea." Coach. I'm a brand new coach in a scenario. In game two, my 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 mentality is going to be strip the guy from strip the guy who's been the captain for the last six years of the C, or go ahead and bench the captain. Highly unlikely. Highly. Yeah, but even even if even even if he doesn't sit Lee in his first game, whoever takes over, I think there are certain things that have been built into this team as as givens and that are taken for granted that that on day one you could probably get rid of and, and one of those like i keep saying i mean cal and casey have been the top penalty kill since barry's first year right that doesn't need to be a thing anymore cal and martin don't need to play every single night right between the two of them martin missed last night and that's about it for the foreseeable future that doesn't need to be the case right you could probably get a little bit more creative with with some of that stuff maybe um you know mix up mix up the power play units to get Oliver Wallstrom on the top unit, who to me, once you've flipped Nelson and Barzal to other sides of the ice, which I think and yet Andy Francis on the show who, should, who demonstrated this, you want Barzal uh, on the same side where, where the Rangers have Panarin operating from, you know, he can, you know, make more passes to right-handed shots, to, you know, for one-time purposes. And it makes people think about more than just, you know, a pass to Dops and shot on net and, and, you know, praying for a rebound. I think with the way they currently have it set up, Nelson on his strong side effectively is, is capable of doing nothing. Right. They tried him for, with one timers to me. You got Dobson, you got Wallstrom, you got two one time options there. So I think there are things that that a coach could come in and do and, and you know, take some things back to basics and, and not have to be married to any of what the Islanders have been doing with with particular players for the last five years and a month. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see how Lane can continue with this team. And if I may be so bold, I, I do not see Lane Lambert being the coach of this team past Thanksgiving. I don't see any coach worth his weight joining the Islanders for this experience, right? Like for a head coach, if you lack yourself to a bad scenario in a situation, all it can do is hurt your perception around the league, hurt future job opportunities. When you look at the Islanders, you say, well, they've got a class A goalie. They've got world-class goaltending from starter to backup. That's fantastic. Defense. Uh, you know they've had guys who have been really steady Eddie back there, but they've they've struggled 
as of the last few years. Um, and then you go ahead and look at the forward group. It is nothing to write home about. And you look at the composition where it's like, unless this is a temporary job, this is not a roster that's going to continue to improve. It's not like you've got a lot of young guys where you can mold them. They're going to be very malleable. You can get to a chance to where, hey, you could form them into the players that you think they should play like. That's not the scenario with this team. So, uh, you know, you really what you're going to bring in is somebody who's going to crack the whip and change things up. But it's such a short term solution. It just it's we're not in a good spot. And, you know, the, the Andy had asked the question. Andy Francis had asked the question to Stefan, and I thought it was a good one. He said, what are the Islanders actually doing well right now? Nothing. You look at certain teams, you say, great, you know, Edmonton, great power play, right? They're, they're dynamic forwards. You know, you look team by team, you could point out certain things they do well and certain things that they're playing well with. And when he said, what are the Islanders doing well right now? I really had to pause for thought, and I was like, I don't think anything. I mean, is is there anything right now where you could say the Islanders did, are doing that well? No, no, really. And last year you could have at least hung your head on goaltending, but Sorokin's not even playing well right now. That, I think, therein lies the problem. We're doing nothing well right now. Yeah. Now, I again, always- I, I think, listen, I think some of that is subject to change, though, right? You're only 14 games into a season. It's not like they're, it's not like they're in any worse shape than they were at, at various points of last season um, where, where, you know, you, you definitely had more of a case to write the Islanders off last year, you know, at around the 50 or even 60 game mark than you do right now. The, I always like to say you're never as bad as you think you're never as good as you think. I don't think we're as bad as what we've seen as of recent. Now, that being said, we talk about this new coach, how it could be a potential fix all. What also could be a scenario too, is we jettison out the old coach, New coach steps in as an interim, doesn't do the job well enough. We're still in the same exact spot. The The worst case scenario for us is that we're in the middle of no man's land. Come the trade deadline, we trade away more assets. Go ahead and double down on this team. This team, the way I don't give a shit who's out. I don't care if Al Arbor's behind the bench. We're not winning a Stanley Cup with this team. This team, the cast and crew, the players on this team is not good enough to win. And it's like when, and like, I, I think more blame belongs on the GM than the head coach. GM handpicked this head coach, right? I don't care if what, you know, if you think, hey, head coach is doing some questionable things. This is a GM selection. GM picked this guy. GM yeah. composes the rosters. GM determines things. Stop the bottom. He's the head of hockey operations. He's been here for five plus years. Some blame's got to go. I'm going to say the majority of blame has to go on the GM at this point. I mean, if you you know, I think you're right. If the buck stops with Lou, and listen, I think that all of us, at the very least, one of the specialist coaches gone, right? Power play, penalty kill, especially after how it looked in the playoffs. I think we wanted both of those guys gone. And to me, really, I I've been calling for Lane's head since since mid last season. Even after uh, they went on that late run that propelled them into the playoffs, I just never thought that this was going to be the guy that was going to take us anywhere. I was banging on the table for Lavi. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that Lavi was going to choose the Islanders over Broadway, but at least I would have liked to have had that conversation with him or or other more qualified coaches than Lane. I think right now, if if ownership is going to allow Lou to make a coaching change, then if Lou is going to stick around for the rest of the season, um, I don't think he should have the ability to slap anything other than an interim tag on whoever he ends up bringing in, kind of like what the Blues did with Barube, right? Where they brought him in. He was an interim head coach after he took over for Mike Yao and didn't earn the head coaching job until the end of the season. 
I'm not drawing the parallel to the blues. I'm just giving an example of, you know, you bring a guy in, you give him an interim tag, many examples of this before, and then the new GM or whomever gets to evaluate in the offseason as to whether or not this is someone we want to move forward with. The the thing is, Lou cannot be allowed if things, let's say, they continue on this path where struggles continue, even if we try a new – here's the thing. You give your struggles continue for long enough. They're gonna they're gonna fire Lane Lambert. Simple as that. This is, they're not. I, gonna, think, I think. Listen, I think he's fired already. I think he's already fired. I think he's done. I think he is as done as Jay Woodcroft was ten days ago. I don't know. Let's say he wins the next three games on the road. I don't think it matters. I think he's done. I think that he's teams behind the eight ball. They're having for the third straight season to try to dig out as opposed to solidifying a strong position. And I think that that's been enough to uh, to get it done. Just the way Lane has looked, he looks like a lame duck to me. He looks like he's grasping in every straw possible because no matter what, I don't think Lane's a bad coach. I know you don't like Lane Lambert. I think our roster composition is hideous at best. He wants to play a current, his style, and he wants to play a current NHL style. He's Last not playing the current NHL style, though. He How many times... How many last times year. have you seen Barzell? How many how many breakaways does Barzell have this year? Look at what he did last year. We're playing okay. a modified system. He does not want to play what system we're playing currently. He I'm just asking, play- how many times have you seen Barzell in alone on a breakaway this season? Maybe once, the time against Boston where he was hooked? Not often. A- not often. The wingers aren't flying the zone. He's not playing a very open, fast-paced style game. It's not like he doesn't he have some players who are capable – he you can't. don't think Barzell could fly the zone? Engvall get the wings to fly the zone early? Of course he can. We did that at the beginning of last year, and how did that result for us? A hideous record. You know what? He's smart enough to say, gotcha. We tried to roll that out with the ancient squad, the older gentlemen we have at the forward group. It doesn't work. So that's when they're, they're, they're that, that, that first line, spot. that second line, those those top two lines aren't old. You've got guys there who could move. My gosh. Okay. All three of those guys in the top line are are, are – You've got Brock Nelson is no spring chicken. Kyle Palmieri is no he, spring. These chicken. guys can move though. Palmieri is the lead. slowest guy in the top six. I mean, the good thing about the, you know what the NHL did with their tracking data is you can see what percentile these skaters rank in just based on speed, right? Barzell's in like the 95th percentile and 98th percentile. Horvat's in the about close to like 88th percentile in terms of speed. Engvall's in the 95th percentile, right? They've got guys at the top of the lineup who could fly. I, I'm I'm telling you, they they're not a fast team. They're not. They've they I think it's less about them not being fast and more about them intentionally playing slow. Right. And I'll give you an example. If you watched very I was watching very closely. I just wanted to see how Julian Gauthier played. Because I watched him play with the Rangers. I watched him play with the Senators. It was a lot of him playing high in the zone, waiting for a turnover, and then flying up ice for someone to find him. That's how he created a lot of his production last year. He had nine goals, all at even strength, because he didn't get any power play time, which is pretty good in 50 games. I was watching him last night. There was no attempt to get him on the outside and behind a defender at any point. There were even points where it looked like he could have made a break on a defender, and the instruction given is chip and chase and go in and forecheck. The system that they are playing is intentionally slow. They do not have the skilled passers. They do not have the skilled players to make long stretch passes past multiple lines and expect, hey, 
if we go ahead and make this pass, there's a high probability that it converts because the likelihood of that not happening and there's an odd man rush coming back the other way where the other team has numbers resulting in a goal is high. It's the reason we cannot play this the, the current NHL system. We don't have a good enough passers from the back end. We don't have enough speed to exploit teams. We just don't. It's why when we switched back to the trot system, it worked well. You may ask, why aren't we playing that way now? Because you can't play a full trot-style system over an 82-game season and expect to have any sort of energy left. I think, I think they've gotten back to it, actually, over the past couple games. I think defensively they have been strong over the past you know, two, three, two, three games. Um, they just can't buy a goal right now. And that's that's something that's you know listen you're not going to shoot three percent forever, which is what their team shooting percentage has been on this losing streak. But, um, you know, and, and that's up to the guys up front. Put the puck in the net, get a good opportunity, bury it. Forwards aren't skilled enough to bury the shots. I mean, realistically, when you're they've got guys who are skilled enough to bury shots, they absolutely do. When they were scoring at a three point three clip in the last thirty games last year, and that was without Barzell, they were they had enough. They had enough goals to get by, even if Sorokin was was a tiny fraction worse uh, than, than he actually played down the stretch. When you think, guys who could bear the puck. When you think about the snipers on this team, very limited. I'd say I like Matt Barzal's shot. And he's got he's one of the guys with a I would say Matt Barzal, right? He's probably one of the guys with a better shot on this team. And he's only shooting six percent, which would be a career low. But again, he's not going to shoot six percent all year. Here's the thing. Bo Horvat. Doesn't score a lot of goals. He's in a dirty area. He's been getting assists, but a lot of it's like I'm passing off and somebody else is doing the work. We're not playing the guys who do score or have a chance to score. And this, I'm not saying Anders Lee removing him off the team, removing him out of the lineup fixes fixes the, all the problems. It would help a little bit, but it's like we're talking about very marginal degrees of help. And that's what it's like. We're going to go through time periods this year, whether it's under Lane Lambert, under a new coach, or like, hey guys, round of applause. We've got six wins in a row. Everything is going right. We're as right as we're as right as rain. As rain. Ugh, we're as right as rain. And hey, we can't we can't do anything wrong. But in reality, the thing is, we still do not beat teams that are good teams that have a win that have a winning record, and. The unfortunate thing is when we make the postseason, we're going to be playing a lot of those teams. All the teams <laughs> that we play are going to be teams that make the postseason. This is just, it's not a team. It doesn't matter. You can put Barry Trotz back in charge. You can put any coach you want here. This team is currently constituted is not good enough. I just think, all right, I don't know how long they re-signed Lou Lamarillo to. I think this year tells us a lot about it. In my opinion, as a GM, you don't get multiple retries on your head coach. You don't get to say, oh, that one didn't work. Let me retry with another one. Oh, this one didn't work. Let me retry again. Okay, this one doesn't work. You can't just be burning through, guys. Sorry, Lou. The cachet you had in the league 30 years ago, it's not working the same way in the current NHL system. It's just not. You never won any cups with us. You don't have that same cachet that you used to have with the Devils. You just can't. Listen, I, I, am, I am by no means married to Lou. I actually think that Pierre Dorian would be an interesting GM to explore in the offseason. I, I like what he's done. I didn't like what he did with Ottawa for the first few years, but I think in the past couple of years, I, I, I do like what he's put together there. And he would be kind of like a creative and innovative type of GM to uh, to take a look at, in my opinion. 
we're going to go ahead and get in some comments here in a second. We're going to read our ads here for today, and then we'll go ahead and jump into our comments. First ad is brought to you by DraftKings. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. You know, for upcoming games, you could say, hey, I'm still expecting the Islanders losing streak to continue. You could do that. You could say, I'm expecting Anders Lee to register less than a point. You could start adding up. You could put same-game parlays. You could do all that fun stuff on DraftKings Sportsbook. And download the app now and use the promo code TA. HPN. New customers get $150 instantly in bonus bets after betting just $5 on hockey. Again, that's promo code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Um, in New York, if you have a gambling problem, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, hope is, or help is available if you have a gambling problem. If you call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resorts, uh, you must be 21 years or older, but age varies by jurisdiction. It's void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.org or .com, I'm sorry, slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Um, and again, that is dkng.com slash hockey. And we also do have one more ad to read. It's from Grumpy's favorite, Raycon, the, the, the amazing headphones uh, that Raycon has here. Um, but season greetings to all of the Islanders Never Say Die podcast listeners. Uh, it may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. And uh, why not take care of it now? Before the crowds and the pack calendars make shopping a total nightmare, especially if you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop at Raycon Products right now and save up to 50% off because of early early Black Friday um, is going on now. They've got their sales going on. And you've heard me talk about the Raycon products before. Their headphones, you know, the special, you know, the special charging jacks. You know, they got a lot of good things to check out there at Raycon. But Raycon first made their name for themselves in the audio space um, when they created their products like their everyday earbuds, which are known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features like 32-hour battery life and perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort and this past year they expanded their business with the introduction of the raycon home and again you've heard me talk about this before but it's a five-star review five-star reviewed magic 180 cable that allows you to charge ios micro usb and type c devices eight times faster with a hundred watt power delivery so you don't have to sit around waiting for your stuff to charge all day long but raycon is known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium audio brands it's no wonder their products have wrapped up racked up tens of thousands of five-star reviews to get everybody in the holiday season shopping early um, raycon is currently offering 20 percent off everything on their site with up to 50% off select products. So beat the crowds and save now. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry to buyraycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score up to 50% off select Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Whew. 
man, they get the reading worth. That's for certain. That is uh, a mouthful. It is. That it definitely is here. We do have some comments. Drew here saying, I see that Lane Lambert is implementing the tank line combinations tonight. What's the likelihood the Islanders even win this game? My prediction is almost zero. What do we think the likelihood is the Islanders win this game against Vancouver? Not likely. See, I think we could win tonight. As I mean, they, could. they could. Listen, I think it starts with another good start. You've got to get ahead of them because this is a team. This I think it's the highest scoring team in the league, right? You don't want to get behind them because they can, they're a team that could outscore their problems. And on that theme, Sorokin has got to be razor sharp, right? This is going to be the first time in eight games where Lane Lambert is breaking the tandem, which I think logically made sense because Varlamov was playing really well. But if you want to give Sorokin the opportunity to get into a groove and establish himself in the way he did last year, it probably does make sense for Sorokin to start starting multiple games in a row. Let's hope Sorokin has a big game tonight. And Rick Roma says, it's early, but I was right about Blake Wheeler. And you guys are right about the devil's shitty goaltending. Right now, we're even. Now, yeah. Phil Phil was Phil was early on the train, too, there for, for Blake Wheeler. Now, he's played a little better as of recent, if I'm well, thinking. What they did is they moved him up to the top line just to try to salvage him. But he's he has only ever – listen, not every player can make the adjustment. And I know a lot of people are asking, and I, I spoke with, with Tuck about this on, on our podcast the other day. Not every – top of lineup player as they age out could move down the lineup, right? There are examples where it does work. Zach Parise, right? He was always a top line player. When he came to the Islanders, he was a good soldier, played a really nice third line role with, with JG Pajo. was a very valuable contributor here. Not all players could do that, right? And if you look at the way Wheeler plays his entire career, he's a guy with elite hands, elite playmaking ability, not a great back checker, not someone who was ever committed to the defensive side of the game not someone who I think is a great skater at this point. And I just didn't see how he could possibly succeed in a bottom six role with either limited or in most cases this year, no power play minutes. And it was predictable to see it play out that way. Now, the reason why they elevated him to the top line is because Capo Caco has the same exact stat line as Andrews Lee. He's got one goal and one assist in 14 games, uh, which is not really what the Rangers want to see out of a guy in his fifth season after drafting him second overall. So they move Caco down. They move Wheeler up. They're hoping that it's going to get maybe both of them going. It really hasn't. Their their offense is largely Artemi Panarin just playing his best hockey he's played in his entire career so far. Um, but, yeah, Blake Wheeler has not been good, and the Devils' goaltending has been astonishingly bad. I will say this. Uh, Lafreniere's played well for the Rangers. The Rangers is 30%, which is something that's not going to last very long, I don't think. Not, I don't think he's not going to shoot 30% all year. He is playing on the line with Panarin and he's doing his job well, which is when there's loose change, he's banging it home. So good for him. Hey, we've got guys like that. Bo Horvat does a lot of that too when he puts up points. I don't minimize Bo Horvat's point production, but hey, um, I'll say this year too. Um, it's a lot easier to ignore poor performance when your team is flying high like the Rangers are right now. Sure. If, if we were 11 2 and 1. I wouldn't have such a gripe about how poor the play is of Anders Lee because I'm like, well, you know, I'm not happy with what he's doing, but shit, we're still winning games, we're producing, so you know, I'm not going to complain and bitch and moan too too much. The only thing I'll say about the Rangers is at some point they're going to have to get secondary production. Like Barkley Goodrow has one point the entire season, right? That's a guy that you signed for on a long term contract for three point six million. He's got a he's got a single assist. 
Jimmy VC's got, a, I think, a goal and two assists or something like that. So I think at some point they're going to have a, a, you know, a situation where the big bats go cold and they're going to need to get some production from down in the lineup. But right now it's, it has not been a problem for them yet. Rick Roma says we can't all be perfect like Sun X. Uh, typical that Sun X starred that comment. Thank you, Sun X. Thanks, Sun X, for working in the background, starring up comments as always. Rick Roma says here, my grandma skates like Pavel Berry compared to Blake Wheeler. So slow. I don't listen. I don't think I don't know that Blake Wheeler is going to be on their in their lineup like past January. If if it's not working, it's a pretty easy contract to cut bait with. So. Maybe they'll bring up a younger player like Ottman or something like that if they have someone playing well at Hartford. I, I agreed with you in the sense that it was a you know low risk proposition because it's a one year deal where you're paying him league minimum plus a hundred thousand. So this the performance bonus I think is going to be a one hundred thousand dollar deduction on next year's cap. It probably won't make a big difference for them. Uh, but just as easily they could they could say goodbye to him in December or January if, if he's not able to turn around and, and that's what I expect will very likely happen there. I'll say there's a no risk for them with Blake Wheeler. Absolutely no risk at all. So sure. for them, not bad. Yeah, Joseph C. says, Wheeler's got three points in his last four games. Can't expect that much or just can't expect much from a 37-year-old. Uh, but he could still be an asset on our power play, says Joseph here. Um, Drew said here, I wonder um, if this is a game uh, the other ghost on the team, Pierre Engvall, actually registers a point. He'll get a point tonight. He'll get multiple points tonight. Fuck. <laughs> Two, two points tonight. Write that down. Does Angval has he scored a goal yet this season? Not yet. Not yet. Good thing we've got seven more years of Pierre Angval, baby. It is a good thing. I love Pierre Angval. Give he's me more Angval. It's just he's just an average guy. He's, he's great. Just an average guy. He's elite skater. Elite size. Elite. He's freakish tools. Great turnovers that lead directly to goals going the other direction. Listen, guys who carry the puck on their stick turn the puck over more than anyone else, right? Barzal leads the league in turnovers. Also yeah. takeaways. Also takeaways. But again, it's because he has the puck on his stick. He's like a shark out there, man. He's taking the puck off of guys. He's losing it occasionally, man. Yeah, not- okay. But the, again, this is why I I didn't like the the benching of Pierre Engvall, right? You have him in there to be a guy who who makes plays and creates, which is something that he has done for Nelson and Palmieri dating back to when we got him, right? If you're going to sit a guy who the reason why you brought him in, the reason why you kept him is because you want this guy to be a transitioner, a guy who could create for you. And then you sit him at the first sign of some sort of mistake that is going to lead to him not taking chances in the future. And you just don't want that, right? If you sat Barzell, like, like Barry has, there were, there were situations. I remember there was a four, nothing game. Islanders up four, nothing against the Rangers, which is maybe the only reason why Barry did it, but it was the end of that period, end of the second period. And Barzell had a turnover um at the top of the zone which led to a breakaway that that Varlamov got the save on keeping it a four nothing game and then Barry sat him the entire third period yes. right so maybe situationally it made sense because no reason not to dump the puck in when you're leading four nothing you don't need to do that but if you were going to sit Barzal at any point for having some sort of really bad turnover when all Barzal is trying to do is make plays then then you're just sending the wrong message to the guy with what you actually want and need for him to do. I think he's been a meh performer so far this season. I thought the first few games he looked good. I, I think other than that, he's just been white. Yeah, but I think the entire team for the past like five games has looked meh. I think Barzal's looked great. 
I think Barzal, he's despite looked, lack he's of looked fine. I think he's looked fine. I don't think he's, he's looked producing. Great. He's 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 creating. That's all I want from a guy like that. Noah Dobson has looked fantastic. You know, when isolated incidents and isolated situations, I like what I've seen from Oliver Wallstrom. But again, it's just like those are that's that's really if I'm looking at one thing, I'll pinpoint on Lane Lambert that I'll say I'm unhappy with. It's it's the same type of issues I've had before in the past with the utilization of young players that that Barry Trotz has had, and you look at with with Oliver Wallstrom, did he really get a fair shake this year? And my answer in response to that is no, I don't think he has. Like that, I have a little bit of a gripe with Lane Lambert on. So I thought I thought Wally had two good games. I thought the game against Minnesota he was good, and I thought the game after that against Boston he looked pretty good too. And then they took him out, and then they put him back in against Edmonton last night or the other night, and I didn't think he looked good at all in that game. But he's not going to be able to build momentum and build some sort of body of work if every single time you're changing something up, it comes at the expense of a player like Wallstrom, who, you know, realistically, if you want to have a shot at developing this kid, it's going to come from consistent play. I don't care if it's on the third line, the second line, the first line. It's just got to be consistency, and you got to stick to it. And I want him on the first power play. I do. I want Nelson off the first power play. I want Wally on the first power play. Yep. I think Jean-Gabriel Pajot has looked like a shell of himself He's no longer the same player he was when we brought him in. He's a smaller guy who's taken a lot of hits. I don't, I'm not shocked by it. And he was paired with Anders Lee to start that game. It's just like it's it's a it's a it's a it's like a merry-go-round of new new lineups, new new spots you're playing, new roles you're playing for a guy who's coming off of an injury who didn't even really get, I'll say, a legitimate chance to gel with anybody in preseason as he was paired with Dimtro Timishoff and guys like Ishikov and Coleman. You know. I, not much I'm expecting of him, but I like what I've seen in short sample sizes. I think that that's been a mismanagement on Lane's part. Um, Nick D says here, I'll kick myself if the Islanders win tonight. You know, the more and more I'm thinking, just because things are swinging so far in that direction, I'm thinking the Islanders are winning. Islanders are winning this game 3-2 to two tonight. All right. that's There you go. How about that for a little optimism from Love it. there, Phil? Um, Mikey D said, Phil was wrong about a lot. A lot this offseason. Okay, it is too early to say I was wrong. You can't say someone's wrong at game 14, all right? Check in with me at game 40 before you tell me I'm wrong, Mikey D. Mikey D said Phil is wrong about a lot this offseason, especially about the Rangers. He would, The only thing he was right about was Wheeler being very slow. They look like a different team than the past two years. Coaching will do that. No, but really, I mean, this is a perfect example of, of how big of a difference coaching makes, right? The Rangers' biggest problem under Gallant, and everyone said this, they were a power play merchant team that was reliant exclusively on their power play and their goaltending. And this year, they're actually playing with structure. They're limiting chances. They're helping their goaltenders out, and they actually look like they're controlling the game in most of these games that they're playing. And that is a testament to coaching, right? You've got a Hall of Fame coach and Peter Laviolette behind the bench this year. Gerard Gallant is famous for just kind of being a player coach and letting the players do whatever they want. Right? When you have a power play that's able to operate at 28% and a goaltender that's a Vesna winner, you're going to go places. Uh, Lavi has them playing a much more structured and detailed game, and that's showing up in the results. Frank K said, this team is really bad. I couldn't agree more, Frank. The team is playing poor right now, not looking like a playoff caliber team. Just please, God Almighty, do not trade away more assets to try to patch open the massive gaping holes that continue to grow every single year of this team. Mikey D says here, Jonathan Quick 
and Eric Gustafson are playing insane for 800k cap hits. Now, Phil, you were also saying that that Jonathan Quick was going to be gone. He looked he looked poor. I wasn't sure that Quick had been playing well, but uh, I, I was just figuring with the wins, right? Somebody's he's playing. been no, he's been good. He's been good. Gustafson has been incredible for them. I like the Gustafson signing, and I I, I wish we would have kept him when we had him on a PTO. Um, yeah, Gus is good. Gus is a good player. Drew L said here, Phil, does Lane Lambert's uh, game day line combinations make you want to do what Draymond Green did? Oh, Draymond Green did to Ruby Gobert. Oh, or he punched him in a chokehold. Punched him. Put, in the him put him in a chokehold. Oh, put him in a chokehold. No, I don't. I don't want to choke Lane. I just just want Lane to go away. <sighs> Mikey D says here, I wish Lou could have made. I uh, wish. I wish Lou could have made it more cheap, low risk. Um, high reward deals instead of keeping around a group of guys for seven years that obviously isn't good enough. Yep. It's just, it's, I can't think of any other team, and Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, to where they have prioritized signing back guys who are, you know, second pairing defensemen or bottom pairing D men and they're middle second pairing defensemen for sure. Not seven years. Not, not bottom, not bottom pairing. Well, Mayfield's a bottom pairing guy. Well, now he's the bottom pairing guy. Yeah, this year he is. No, well, I, listen, I, I told you at the time, I did not like the Mayfield deal. I, I understood why they did it. I didn't like it, though, and they shouldn't have done it. I just, I, I, I'm wondering how this, well, I'm not actually curious how the strategy is going to work out. It's going to it's gonna end terribly. But I'm like, I, do, I don't understand what Lou's thinking here with that. Like, he's like, oh, man, I'm ahead. I'm on the, I'm on, I'm on the razor's edge here. I, I've come around with something new. I can just go ahead and extend these guys who are, average to above average to huge seven seven year deals and we're going to go ahead and get the cap hit lower and that's going to allow us to really manipulate the cap and we're going to build a fantastic team i just don't get it i don't get with mayfield it doesn't make sense because of his age he's 31 it just doesn't make sense to give anyone like that more than like four years maximum with engvall i like the idea of you're you're buying a guy at his floor with the ability for him to get better and it's not going to hurt you because he's young Right, and that contract runs him until he's he's thirty three or thirty four. You're not going to get hurt from that contract. You can put him anywhere in the lineup, pretty much. They should use him more on the penalty kill because the Maple Leafs did, and he was always a shorthanded threat because of his length and because of his speed. And if you want to take Clutterbuck out, that's the first guy I'd be pairing up with Zizekas on that top penalty kill. But I had absolutely no problem. I thought that was a creative solution there. To be honest, and again, it sounds funny. I thought that the I hated the Sorokin contract. I just hate it. I hate starting a guy on an eight-year deal when he's going to be 29 years old and the slightest bit of loss flexibility and, and his game is going to go sour. And so far, he's been not good this season. I hope he turns it around. But that has potential to be a disastrous contract. They're only paying him $8 million a year, right? Eight and a quarter starting next, starting next year. Here's the thing. The team is going to be in such a shambolic state. doesn't even matter at that point. Well, then even more so than you shouldn't have done it. Then you should have traded him. Would have been nice to do that. But our I, would GM, have, I, would have, I would have traded him. Our GM doesn't believe that this team is not structured well. He believes I structured well or not structured well. I am always trading the goalie. If you've got a, if you're a goalie away, I'm not trading away Vasilevsky. I'm not trading away. I'm not trading away Mark Andre Fleury. I'm not trading away goalies that are going to win us cups. That's not. That's not what I'm doing. You know, if, if at least with Vasilevsky, they did that deal when he was 26, not 29. I have no problem at all with the way they signed 
into an eight-year deal. I thought that was a it's gonna be a fine deal. It's not that's not the problem. The problem was every other deal that's been handed out since and every other deal that was handed out before then. We're gonna be if you were if you were grading all those deals right now, the deal that looks the best so far is oddly enough, Semyon Varlamov, which which isn't to say that's going to be a good deal, but he's the only one who's living up to that contract from from the four that they signed this summer. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's early yet. I think it's uh, early. It's early in all these contracts. It's early. It's early for everyone. I and I, I keep telling people that. Like you could tell me I'm wrong at game 14, and that's fine. But you're not really going to know if I'm wrong until around game 40 or 50. Oh, I, I'll tell you this: we're going to know what the team is composed of real damn quick. I think we already know what they're composed of. We're going to know how bad things are, like a true assessment of the damage, what, two, three weeks from now, 20 games in the season? A quarter a quarter of the way in the season, you know what the team is. If they don't win any games, then for sure. <laughs> if they don't win any games from between now and the 20-game mark, then yeah, you're 100% right. Even if you're splitting and we're, and we're just like floating and we're just trying to do anything we can to survive, that's just... Well, I mean, listen, I, I put this out earlier. At game 50 last year, they were 23-22-6. and six. Or 23, 22, and 5. So that adds up to 50. Right? One game over 500. They were seven points behind Washington 50 games in last year, right? Which means they made up about 22 or 23 points on the Capitals over 32 games, which is kind of crazy. It was the Islanders going like this and Washington going like that, which, which happens. Teams get out to hot starts early. I even posted earlier tonight that at the 57 game mark, Detroit, which was one week before the trade deadline, Detroit was comfortably in a playoff spot. When I mean comfortably, they were in the seven spot, technically speaking, and they had like four games in hand, and then the wheels fell off for Detroit, and we know how the the end of the season went there. So if you're in a 500 position at the quarter mark, you're not done. You're not by any means done. It just means you got to get on the run at some point. Detroit went ahead and sold all assets, or they started selling. They sold all assets because they think they lost like four games in a row from that point, and then they realized, like, all right, we're a paper tiger here. And and here's the thing, right? I think that was the right decision by them. I think that I like the way that that Detroit team is structured. That's a team the Geyser plan is in full effect here. I would have – wow, hold on one second. My battery's running low. Why? Give me one second here. Uh-huh. I'll read your comment. JP says here um, – oh. It would be very New York Islanders to be to beat Vancouver tonight. Somehow, out of the cul-de-sac, they come. Who that, that would be very New York Islanders. That would it's just the unexpected. That's that's what I would expect. Poor, poor play. We find a way. I think we get dominated tonight, but come away with a three-two win. I think we All get right. outplayed, but win. All right. Uh, Rick Roma says here, I'm really surprised by Quick. I thought he was done. Coach Tommy B says here, good evening to Sun X, the heart and soul of the show. See, they know who they've got to butter up. They're buttering up Sun X. Looky there. Um, Angelo M says, hello, everybody. Um, another game, another loss. Oh, gosh. Uh, I tell you. the Let's 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 play a scenario. Mm-hmm. Islanders lose two, two out of these remaining three games. Yep. Do you think Lane is fired on his return back from the road trip? One. Hundred percent. I would. I would bet serious money on that. Wow. Yep. Okay. Zero chance. I think if they lose even one of three, he's done. Wow. I even think there's a scenario where if they win all three, he's done. Like that's that's how confident I am that he's gone. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, Rick Roman said, I hope Grumpy Old Man feels better soon. This Phil guy is like Sun X minus talent, knowledge, and electric personality. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to disappoint, Rick. JK, I actually like Phil. Uh, uh, Coach Tommy B said here, dumb comments by uh, by Casey Sezekis, but mistakes do happen. Um, he should be, you know, he should give a real apology for that and his awful penalty killing. More for the awful penalty killing. That's that's been the more offensive of the uh, of the things. You know what? If you want to shit on the fans, fine, but at least kill off a penalty, man. Oh, I, I think he did. What is it was a half apology? Like I'm not going to say I'm sorry for saying what I said. I'm just just kind of like, ah, okay, come on, man. Yeah, it was basically I don't mind booing, right? Boo all you want. You paid. You came. Whatever. But don't start attacking our coach. Which again, you could attack anyone you want. You're paying for the show, right? If the show sucks and the actor is terrible, then you get to say like, hey, I went to, you know, to see Thor, and I thought that Chris Hemsworth was awful. Right. And you know what? He's making a lot of money and he doesn't care because he's living with his whomever. And that's that's totally fine. He's not going to get bent out of shape about that because he wants you to go see his movie. Right. It's the same thing here, really. It's, that's how business goes. We're unhappy with the product. We get to point out the cast and characters that we don't like and we get to boo them. It's just funny to see that that so upset, so upset by that. And I was just like, come on, dude. I'm like, you've seen you've seen fans boo before. You've seen this. I'm just like, it shouldn't be uncharted territory for you. It's just an odd one. Here's what, and I hate when fans get upset at other fans for, for booing. And like, well, you know what? Casey's right. You guys are a bunch of ungrateful people. Like, no, we we are the chicken. Okay. They're the egg. We are the chicken. The product doesn't exist without us, right? The reason why lower sports leagues don't have money and don't have revenue or because they're just not exciting, right? You're not going to go, <laughs> you're not going to go to like some random off-brand league and, you know, the, the South of the country and start booing their players. Cause like, it doesn't matter, right? These guys get paid nothing and they owe you nothing right here. These NHL players are living in the, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, right? It's the ultimate pr privilege to get to play at this level. Yeah. And the people who pay your salaries are the people who are sitting in the crowd and the people also who are watching at home on TV, right? Like 25% of the money comes from the TV deals, right? So if, if these people want to go ahead and, and boo, then boo away. I've always said it's really easy to say, oh, man, we're unhappy with the way we're playing right now. We want to be a real contender to win a Stanley Cup. We understand the passion of the fan base. Dude, I'm like, just just BS the answer. I know it's yeah. easier to say what you think, but just bullshit the answer, man. Come on. That's what we're expecting from you. Uh, Matthew S. said, yeah, they didn't post the lane interview after that game on the Islanders website. I noticed that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it either. The Islanders Gestapo strikes again. Look at them. They're just going ahead and uh, look at them go. Um, Rogue Gamer said here, did Grumpy go back to the future? He looks younger. I like that one. That's nice. <laughs> Rick Roma said here, um, play a boring brand of hockey, lose a bunch of games in a row, and criticize the fans. Brilliant, I'm with, says Rick. I'm with Rick. you, Rick. I'm with you, Rick. <laughs> What's up there, Matthew? Hopefully you're doing well, too. Um, exactly. Fans ultimately play the player salaries. Absolutely, they do. David Sean McDonald says here, there's nothing to talk about. We suck. We're stuck with the suck. I've said it before, game one. Oh, it's too early yet. Yeah, it's early and the season is over. Same roster with little turnover and the same. And 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 some think that we can turn around this garbage around. Ammonite <laughs> noise pollution. Love that. That's right. I feel like we're on with somebody who maybe agrees with that. There, you think now? Do you think we can turn this around, Phil? 
I mean, they could for sure turn it around. It's just a matter of if they have the desire to do so. They turned around last year from worse, you know? Right now, this isn't this isn't me pointing to like the blues or this or that or like taking like some random outlier example. Like I'm I'm talking about this cast and crew. These players were left for dead. They were multiple games out of a playoff position with very little runway. And as a matter of fact, they started out kind of just like pissing points away again. If you remember, right? They won a couple games out of the all-star break. And then they had that game to, you know, against Vancouver, where we got out to a two-goal lead and blew it in the third period. Kind of looked like this year, actually. Only we scored four goals that game. And then we lost to Montreal in overtime, right? And that was a pretty embarrassing loss because Montreal was terrible. And then we lost to Ottawa in regulation at home. Or at least they think that was a regulation loss. And it was just like, all right, we just got Bo Horvat, and we've dropped, we've only won two out of our first five games. And then the game after that, <laughs> I think it was the Pittsburgh game, which we won. We came back from a two-goal deficit again in the third period. And then right after that, Barzal gets injured. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, nothing we could do here. We've got 23 games left. We're six points out of a spot or whatever. And now we lost our best player. Like, pack it up. The season's over. And then, you know, this, this cast and crew went ahead and did it. So is it over? No, it's not over. But they, they got to start fixing shit soon. Absolutely. Matthew S says here, uh, this team has to play perfect hockey to win based on how it's constructed and that will never work. They only need to play. Okay. They only need to play perfect hockey. So long as the goaltending is not holding up its end of the bargain, right? This team, when you're signing a goalie to be the third or fourth highest paid goalie in the league, then part of the equation is that I'm allocating dollars that would go to positional players to this goaltender because this goaltender is special this goaltender is an equalizer, and this goaltender is going to win me games that I should not win, right? So if Sorokin is playing more towards his abilities, then, then no, you don't have to play perfect hockey. And they've won plenty of games over the last several years not playing perfect hockey with elite goaltending backstopping them, whether that was Robin Leonard, whether that was Semyon Verlamov in his season when he was you know fourth in the, in the Vezina ballot, or, or whether that was last year. But with the way the goaltending has looked, and specifically with the way Sorokin has played this season, yeah, they <laughs> it's perfect or nothing. I agree with that. He's facing a firing squad every single night. Not lately, though. Not it, against Edmondson. Two of those goals, especially the third goal, even you could admit, that third goal is atrocious. I thought he looked a little shaky against he looked, Edmondson. He, with every single shot, I don't know if you noticed this, every single shot, even the ones hitting him in the breadbasket, looking behind him, making sure nothing's leaking through. He's just he's it's not like with Goldie's the confidence is not like okay, one game and we fixed the issue. When you're when you're getting pelted with shot after shot after shot of it takes a while to get back into that groove. It really yeah, does. He'll get back into the groove. He will because he's that good. He will get back into the groove, but he's got to get yeah. there. They'll start tonight, right? They're gonna hold Vancouver to 23 shots and win three to two, isn't no, it? No, I'm listen, they're the top scoring team in the league right now. I'm under no illusion that it's gonna be an easy game, right? This is this could easily be a 42, 45 shot game. But if they're putting up 45 shots, then you want to see Sorokin. Listen, we watched Sorokin have 50 game shutout. I think this was a stat that they threw up during that Ottawa game where we gave up 47 shots and he made 45 saves or whatever it was, 46 and 44. That Sorokin's best record in terms of shots against is when he sees 40 or more shots. Some goalies, maybe they get better with a bigger workload and maybe because they only had 13 shots for the first two periods, maybe he didn't get settled in. I don't know. But 
somehow when this team gives up 40 or more shots, Sorokin's record is, is insanely good. Jill's here. I just think uh, by the third period, our team is gassed and they can't keep up with other teams defensively. Um, that's what it looks like to me. I don't think that's what's the, been the case, though, with the exception of the, the Carolina game. And that was, again, I thought that the decision to right you had Mayfield who either re-aggravated or got a new injury on the first shift of the game, right? And they kept rolling him out over Bolduc, who they sat for an entire period, right? So there was a, a decision that was made that we're going to roll out Pollock, Romanov, and Dobson all over 25 minutes in that game, which is a lot for any defenseman, no matter what your age is. We're going to keep Bolduc on the bench. We're going to shorten the shifts for some of the forwards. They bench Matt Martin for almost that entire fourth period. They were they were really like they took skaters out of the rotation and they let themselves get run down pretty good in that Carolina game. I didn't like how he managed the bench at all there, right? If you're not going to let Samuel Bolduc play in a game where you have a two-goal lead, then what's the point of having him on the team? I feel like this is the point where Grumpy would say, Phil, Carolina always beats us. They always will beat us. And that That's is fine. Great. They always beat us. We just don't beat Carolina. I don't care who's back there. We don't match up against Carolina. We should have won that game. You should not be blowing a 3 nothing lead on, on home ice. Brian, New York says here, uh, Lambert is worse than Aaron Boone with his lineup slash line changes. Players need consistency. They do need consistency. I agree. Absolutely. Coach Tommy B said here, I want to ask uh, a favor tonight, TJ. My nephew Carson is in radiation chamber um, for the rest of the week as he starts his second MIBG therapy in two months as he continues to battle um, neuroblastoma. Um, it's a brutal treatment. Ask for prayers and he gets uh, that he gets through and enters remission for the fourth time. Thanks, TJ. Absolutely there, Coach Tommy B. Hopefully Carson there is able to to battle that and 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 you know it goes well there treatment wise there absolutely so, always thoughts and prayers there for him yeah um joseph c says here phil is solid he just has to drop the hot takes well i think that just comes with the territory when you're talking to phil so that's, that's what makes him, that's that's what makes him alluring is the crazy takes that he has he seems so rational so so measured but then you hear some of those takes you're like what the hell is that phil um, Coach Tommy B said here we gave up 20 thought 20 shots in the third period versus Edmonton. Was it really 20 shots? It didn't feel like 20 shots. I don't know. I mean, well, at least one of those is an empty net shot, obviously. Um, there just wasn't a lot of dangers. I mean, the, the high danger chances were very low in that game. We were giving a lot of perimeter stuff. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah, Sorokin, Sorokin had 31 saves. It's another game where Sorokin's facing 30 plus shots. I'm curious when the last time we've we've Yeah, but again, less the, the, the three goals, the three goals are already in on him, I think, before they hit 25. I'm just curious when the last time we we gave up less than 30 shots in a game was. Um against Arizona. I think, I think against Washington it was 27. Against uh did Boston have more than 30 shots? Yeah, every team usually has more than 30 shots against us. Now, you're talking about the most recent game for Washington? The most recent game, I think, Washington at 27. 27. Yep. Okay, there you go. We, we all know that the game against Arizona was 14. Uh, let me just see one thing here. We'll also, we gave 34 shots against. 35, right, 34 plus an empty netter. Thirty-four saves, thirty-one against their um, against the Wild. I mean, like it's it's consistently in the thirties or near that area. It seems like um, thirty-one against the Wild, right? Yeah, it's just ugh. what's up, Brandon Gaines. He says here um, the attachment to Sezikis and Clutterbuck on the first penalty kill unit has to stop. Pajot and Holmstrom all day, every day. 
Grumpy would not be happy about that. Um, Lane, why? Uh, why wouldn't Grumpy be happy about that? Is I mean, is that not obvious to anyone with eyes that Pajot and Holmstrom are a really good penalty killing unit? Pajot hasn't looked great this year either. On the penalty killer, I'm, I'm not married to anybody on the PK. Have you been watching the penalty killers? Yes. When Pajot and Holmstrom are out there, they 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 pressure the point men. They force turnovers. They create scoring chances. They create goals. I don't know if you can't see the qualitative difference on the penalty kill with Holmstrom and Page over Zeke and Clutterbuck. I just don't know what to tell you. Do you see how it's applicable only sometimes when it fits scenarios? We just talked about a 14-game stretch. Cases is this even- is not a 14-game stretch. I also included data from last year, too. Cases, what what data did you include from last year? I included the playoff data, and I could even go further back to uh, show you the regular season data too. So the playoffs. This is this has been a problem. It's and I don't think it's a Zika's problem because when they had Zika's killing with Horvat, they actually looked better. It's a clutterbuck issue. He can't move. If you can't move, you can't be on the penalty kill. Simple as that. You need to be fast. You need to have a good stick, and you need to be able to disrupt the point men into making quick decisions that turn into turnovers and that's what Holmstrom and Pajot have been doing and Zeke's and Clutterbuck have not been doing it it's a very easy fix I think a lot of it is more circumstantial I'm looking at the goals they score a lot of it is based off of hey defenseman's trying to keep the puck in the zone and he gets his pocket pick nope it's I mean look at look at both look at the goal look at the goals they've scored that is absolutely okay. how that look happened. at both let's let's pull up both shorthanded goals I'll, I'll send them to you sure look at, let's look at both shorthanded goals just as he says, fire lane so Luke can give another bottom six forward and a, or a second to third pairing defenseman a six or a seven year deal. That's right, Joseph. That's that's the way it seems right now. Got to keep, got to keep. I guess treading water to keep Lou here is the way it feels. Uh, Brian New York says here, leave Wallstrom on the top line. Absolutely. Um, Brandy Gaines says here, surrounding Pajot with no speed and giving him below average skaters like Liam Wallstrom is a coaching decision. Keeping Barzal on his left side on the power play is a coaching decision. Benching Gauthier and not supplementing the forward group with more internal speed is also on lane. Okay. It's easy to micromanage little tiny scenarios like this. Now, Wallstrom hasn't been a lineup critical of that he's not going to remove lee lee should just be out of the lineup altogether where are you going to put anders lee right we've tried him on the first line he can't right we can't put him on the fourth line we've tried him on the third line i actually don't dislike his play on the third line i think he actually gives a little bit of effort when he's only playing 12 minutes a night but he just can't play 17 minutes a night like we ask him to do sometimes okay Um, the two goals i just dm them to you and by the way this is just the this is the gravy part of it right the main point is when they're out there, they haven't been given up many opportunities and goals. They also are a threat to do this, if you want to pull it up. All righty. The gravy portion of things. Okay, let's look this up here. All right, first one here against the Boston Bruins. Well, I can tell you right here what's going to happen. How does that how does that scenario created? Poor okay, scenario created. You got you got you got a rim poor around puck control. Poor puck control. He turns the puck over. Okay. Gets if, do you okay okay but okay? Do you see Cal Clutterbuck picking up that puck and blowing by Brad Marchand as if he doesn't even exist like that? 
Brad Marchand is caught standing. He's caught literally. He has does, not okay. even turned his hips. Sorry. And almost Holmstrom is at equal equal parallel with them. What? Do you, no. Does, come on. does Clutterbuck have the speed and the ability to get out of the zone? And I'm going to go one step like further, this. Phil. You could strap skates out on the grumpy old man, and he'll be able to catch it if 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 Marchand hasn't even flipped his hips over and he's got a head of steam going that direction. I mean, like it, the expectation is at this point, Marchand doesn't even try. It's like, gosh, shit, I'm beat. Look at this. I, you know, it, it creates a two on one. It's a poor job by Marshawn and he didn't play well against us. I didn't think at least no, he didn't. Marshawn had a really shitty game against us. So first one, Hey, he missed Hamilton are you playing it. Oh, Oh shit. Are you not able to see? Oh gosh. Okay. No. Okay. Here it is. Gotcha. And it goes ahead and creates there that odd man rush going the other direction. But it was a poor job of handling the puck by Marshall. That's a sweet finish, and that's a great way to start that transition play. I'm hoping that our team is able to finish a few two-on-one opportunities. And this Homer, is one Homer's, he is the two-on-one specialist. Look, he, look at what the goal, look at what the defense. Okay, but again, well. this play, this again, hold on, pause it. Go to go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Okay. Okay. Start right here. We'll put it in slow-mo for us here. Right. What, what do you notice that happens right here? What, what, what just happened? Win the draw. We won the draw, okay? What happened against Edmonton when we put Sikas out? We lost the draw. Who's our best face-off man by far? You know what, you know what we do here, Marshawn? We go ahead and exit the zone and re-enter back in. Well, he you don't have the feel or the need to try to keep the puck in the zone to create a two-on-one going the other way. I don't think he, he read the bounce wrong, which happens. But again, getting puck position and being able to fire it down the ice in order so that the other team now needs to try to enter the zone and set up that takes off 20 seconds. If you deny the entry, which Holmstrom is very good at denials, he's probably the best on the team in terms of zone entry denials. Um, that's a big deal, right? Get your best face-off guy out there to start the power play. That's pretty simple. Here's, here's your issue from Boston as well. What's the well, one thing you do on a two-on-one opportunity for the defense? Listen, you've got you've got a. That's not. A, I don't think that's a defenseman. That's a forward. What is the one thing you do? I don't give a shit who it is. Forwards play defense too. You come back. You back. Yeah, check. they suck at defense. What is the one thing you do on a two-on-one? Take the fucking passing lane away. What he does, he turns his shoulder, doesn't take the passing lane away, and allows for a tap-in shot all the way around. That's a poor play by Boston. All right, let's go to the Good next. Let's, let's roll the tape on the next goal. Let's roll the tape on the next one. All right. Top of the circle, down to the goal line. Cook to the end. He's thrown off the outside of the net from Svechnikov. Uh, quick one-timer there. Pajot got a piece of that pass, then got more of it. Here comes Holmstrom with Pajot. Okay. Do you see Clutterbuck pressuring the, the point men or pressuring the puck in the way that Pajot does? No, because he's not capable of it. He does not move like Pajot. He's not as fast as Pajot. He's not as good as Pajot at defense or at penalty killing. And this is created because Pajot is a dog out there on the penalty kill. And he sets this entire play up. You know Just what I'm saying? It's crazy to think we lost this game. <laughs> it is crazy to think we lost this game. It's a, it's a, it's a sin that we lost this game. Uh, Brett Burns is – what the fuck is Brett Well, first Burns? it's, first it's Svechnikov. First it's Svechnikov. He chases the puck. What the fuck is Burns doing? He's trying oh, to get the puck oh, around Pajot. Pajot gets his skates in the way. And then it's and then he's toast because Simon flies the zone. He's got the 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 hockey IQ and the recognition to realize that there's a play to be made here. This is laminate propaganda. This is laminate. No, this is not propaganda. This is this is this is just this is just simple. This is math, right? This is your top penalty killing pair, and it's not even close. And you have a guy who doesn't belong 
killing penalties at all because he's too slow. You need speed out there. You need speed, reach, length. You can't have a 73% penalty kill and go anywhere. That's putrid. It's awful. It's terrible. It's fixable. Make the fix. They put Do pressure it. on. Poor decisions at the point leads to an opportunity going our direction. Because of pressure. Because of pressure. Clutterbuck there pressure. peels off and stands in the middle like a statue and lets them get reset up 100% of the time. Just watch it tonight. When they're on the penalty kill, you will see Clutterbuck does nothing. He just stands and waits and prays that whenever shots come, don't hit him and end his career before he hits game 1,000. That is literally all he does. Watch it. How Everyone else, by the way, I'm not alone on this. Everyone has been making this observation, and especially since the playoffs. How many How many games is he away from 1,000? I think three. I think it's like three more games. Wow. Shit. Okay. Yeah, hold on. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Hold on. Stephen C. said, those are a lot of mistakes, Phil, you just listed. So how is not firing Lane helping this season? Yeah, I think, no, Phil's definitely in the pool to fire Lane. Phil's been in that pool since last year. Phil's been in that pool early last year. Clutter so. needs four more. Four more to 1,000. Four more to 1,000. Um, and what we're going to do here, guys, um, we're going to hate to do this, but we're going to wrap up our show early because the game is on. The game is on. The game is on. So I'm trying to I'm trying to flip through to find if anybody's got a question. Oh, gotcha. Here you go. Shay said, I'm surprised that these two can be on a podcast by themselves, to be honest. Um, I'm waiting them for uh, waiting for them to go full on classic Phil and TJ argument, and there's nobody to stop them slash interfere. You know what it is? It's usually Grumpy just like throws a log on the fire. And he's he's the one that gets everyone riled up. I think that's what it is. Uh, Grumpy is a fire starter. Absolutely, he is a fire starter. Absolutely, we'll do, Joseph. We'll make sure to go ahead and do that. We will wish him well. We'll we'll get Grumpy. I'll tell that everybody was very. Everybody was saying he hopes that he takes a long siesta from this from the show because Phil and, and and TJ have filled the role just fine. Um, but but um, uh, sorry, we won't get through all the comments here today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. A little short, abridged, hour and 30-minute long podcast here before the Vancouver game starts. Phil, what do you want to say before we wrap things up here today? Let's go, Islanders. Make make me look good, okay? Make me be right. I don't want to be wrong. Phil, I was about to say, now how much, let me ask you this, how much heat are you receiving right now on social media from anti-Laminites, would you say? Loads of it. I just don't care. I don't care. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I, I put that in a separate folder to refer back to. You bookmarking everything. I'm bookmarking it for April. All right. You know what? You want to you want to come with that heat at 14 games? Be my guest. Be my guest. Are you starting to get worried yet that maybe Twitter may be gone next year for you? No, not yet. Too early. It's early. It's early in the season. You don't even have like a little bit of like a, a, a like a sinking in like oh man that may happen. You don't think it's a possibility we miss the playoffs? Only if they keep Lane. If they keep Lane, they'll miss the playoffs. They will. But they're not going to keep Lane. I'm like 100% confident they're not keeping Lane. Look at that. Phil's feeling confident. But but thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Phil came on short notice there. Thank you. Um, next, not this Saturday, next Saturday, I think we're going to have Greg Prado on. We had, to re, we had to, the Jimmy Jack rearrange everything because of grumpy underweather. So thank you so much, Phil, for short notice coming on today, talking a little Islanders with us here. Um, uh, you know, I guess because we won't have a show. I don't know. I don't think we'll have a show until then. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll make sure to give you updates. The Grumpy, I'm sure, will be feeling hopefully fine by then. We'll find out. Um, but thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the show. Thank you, Phil, for coming in on late notice here. And let's go, Islanders.